Christmas shopping season is underway and you're likely seeing all kinds of limited time deals and holiday specials. Well, it turns out cyber criminals offer limited time discounts too. We're going to talk about that coming up next on the Cyber 24 podcast presented by Valcom. All right, welcome in to another episode of Cyber 24. I am your host, Marty Carpenter, joined today by an expert panel of one, Philip Kim. All the brain power concentrated in one person. Thanks for being here. Hello. <laughs> uh, okay, this was an interesting story because when we have talked about ransomware, and we have done that because there, there has been a, an uptick in the number of ransomware attacks. So we've covered ransomware uh, fairly well over the past several weeks. Uh, but this was an international company, and I thought that was interesting because we talked a little bit about how U.S. companies are being attacked, but there are international concerns here as well. Uh, so our top headline in this week's episode, hackers demand $5 million from Mexico's Pemex in a cyber attack. All right, first things first, what the heck is Pemex? Petróleos Mexicanos, that's what it stands for, which translates to Mexican Petroleum, but it's trademarked and better known as Pemex. It's the, it's the Mexican state-owned petroleum company. It's an oil company created in 1938 uh, by nationalization uh, of all private, foreign, and domestic oil companies at the time. It is a monopoly. It is state-owned and state-run, and its annual revenue is $117 billion, give or take a billion dollars here or there. All right. So that puts it, I think, into some important perspective. Revenues of $117 billion and the ransom here was $5 million. So $5 million might seem like a lot, and it certainly is not just chump change. But when you're when you're generating $117 billion, you know, $5 million in perspective, it's not like the hackers came in and asked uh, for the biggest stuff. So like, I guess I'll pause there, Philip. Does that surprise you that uh, hackers who were able to, to, to really hamper operations for a major government-owned monopoly oil company. I mean, everything there says deep pockets, and they went for five million bucks. Does that number surprise you at all? No, no, it doesn't. And and they're they're being opportunistic. They know they're not going to get it all the time, but uh, they're 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 being hopeful, and they realize that they're going to cause potentially a lot more damage to an operation than five million dollars. Yeah. Now I mentioned at the beginning of the show a holiday special. Uh, hackers demand about $5 million in Bitcoin from Pemex. Uh, but as the hackers themselves actually talked to Reuters, a news service, uh, they said that the state oil firm missed a special discount by not paying immediately after a cyber attack that fouled up the company's systems. How commonplace is that, that a hacker will say, we're demanding, in this case, let's say $5 million, but for the you'll save 15% if you use this coupon code and give it to us right now. Oh, yeah. Early bird discount. Uh, yeah. I guess it's just introducing more of the market principles into this to try to incentivize someone to make a quick decision. Certainly. Um, but do you, do, you, do you think that's very common? It is pretty common. And with ransomware, often there's a deadline where you don't get your data back. Um, you know, Not that you'll necessarily get it anyway if you pay the ransom, yeah. but there'll be a deadline at perhaps a few days where they're trying to entice the victim to act quickly. When we've had our friends on from uh, the Department of Public Safety, those who deal with cybercrime here in the state of Utah, uh, they've mentioned that what the attackers are trying to do is get you to make a fast decision. They want emotion attached to the decision so that you feel pressure to make a decision or incentivized uh, to make a quick decision because that's 
the quicker they get their money and the quicker they get out, the less worry they have. Um, are, yeah. they gonna, are they going to feel better if they pay $5 million instead of $7 million? Probably yeah. not, though. I, I don't know. I, I, that's to, that, to me, is an interesting thing because I've seen this with a number of companies, and, and I'm, I'm sure you have some experience with this as well. There's there's sort of a, a – the business decision is sort of to quickly just say, this is what they're asking for. It's halted all of our operations or it's hampered us to this extent. Pay the money. Get the code going. Let's get back in business and move on with our lives. But there is sort of a – uh, a pride to it. The same thing that, you know, in a movie when you see that someone comes and mugs the couple in New York City and, you know, just give them what they want and and uh, and then the guy always sort of, that pride jumps in and he wants to just like fight him off, and usually to his detriment, <laughs> unless he's Superman. I guess that's one of the movies where he gets away with it. Clark Kent gets shot. Um, so there's, there's that element of emotion into it. Um, have you seen a good way to help people, help businesses in that situation take the emotion out of it? Is is just they have to have good advisors around them who will say, let's let's walk you through this. What your options really are? Sure, I I, th- I think that's going to be hard to take all emotion out. I mean, until until we have robots running the organizations, uh, and people are always going to be emotional beings on, on some level. But it is important to uh, to be prepared uh, to to not get into some reactive state where you're making decisions that. Uh, may not be the most logical. Yeah. Uh, the website, uh, the hackers demanded 565 Bitcoin, uh, roughly $5 million, and gave Pemex a 48-hour deadline uh, with an email uh, where they could be contacted. Uh, Pemex said its storage and distribution facilities were operating normally, and the attack affected less than 5% of its computers um, and, you know, started got out publicly on the PR trail and had said, hey, let's let's make sure there's no disinformation. Uh, a ransom note that appeared on Pemex computers uh, pointed to a dark website affiliated with Doppelpamer, a type of ransomware uh, that's different than Ryuk, even though the – and I'm not, I don't know if I'm saying that second one right. How do you say that one? R-Y-U-K? Uh, Ryuk? I, I've heard uh, Ryuk, Ryuk mostly. So initially sort of there were reports that it was Ryuk. Then it was this other one, which is a uh, Doppelpamer, a relatively new breed of ransomware. Uh, that cybersecurity firm CrowdStrike said was behind recent attacks uh, in in Chile's agricultural ministry um, and in a town in Texas. Um, Now, for Pemtech side, they had to communicate with employees via mobile messaging service. So it crippled their ability really to to at least communicate via email. They had to communicate uh, uh, using WhatsApp. and, uh, and, you know, so that at least tells you a little bit of what got impacted there, even if they're saying general operations uh, were not. This is another one of these international incidents, uh, Norwegian aluminum producer. Every time I, I get a European name and then aluminum, I wanna, I'm, I'm forced to think aluminum, as our British friends would say. Um, but a Norwegian aluminum producer was hit back in March by ransomware uh, that hit, uh, hit them and then spread to 160 sites, uh, forcing parts of the uh, industrial giant to operate uh, via pen and paper, according to this report. Um, okay, that, that Norwegian company, though, case in point, refused to pay the ransom, um, and it doesn't list necessarily what the ransom was, uh, but ended up costing them $71 million in cleanup costs, uh, and only about $3.6 million of that has been covered by insurance at this point. So uh, this is really a tough one. It, uh, there's no such thing, I guess, they say is a perfect crime, but no one ever seems to get caught for ransomware. <laughs> Not very often. No one ever seems to get caught for it. They seem to get in, 
with relative ease uh, and the cost to cleaning it up if you don't pay the ransom is so much higher than than just paying the ransom, even though there will be some cleanup costs, particularly in the U.S. where you have you know, regulations that you have to go through and in, in, uh, informing people and there's all th- sorts of potential impacts to your company. But it still seems like they've got this set up in a way where the quickest, easiest, and least painful way is just to pay the ransom. And I, I guess I wonder how you stop something like this if that's the case. Well, and, and maybe that's the answer in the short term. Of course, the long in the long term, that does not solve the epidemic, which uh, as computing power uh, and software advances, the attackers have that those same capabilities at their exp- exp- uh, at their disposal, and you know th- things potentially could get worse if if attackers decide to go that way. Yeah, you think about a company that has revenues that are around what we say 117 billion dollars, a significant amount of money. Uh, that tells me they probably have tons of employees as sure. well. You know, significant size, which means so many areas where the company is potentially vulnerable, right? So many, so many people who have devices or who are going to potentially be subject to email scams or whatever to get information to get access to it. I don't know that there's a really good answer in sight uh, as far as we, we kind of understand what to do when it hits. There are some things you can do to prevent that. Um, but once you find yourself in that situation, it is a really, really difficult situation for a company to be in. And, uh, and like I said, there's, there's that sort of pride that you want to, you want to find a way to fight back, but really there's sure. not much of a way to fight back once you've been hit. Sure. Uh, either way, it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of work potentially. Um, but there are a lot of things you can do to lessen the chance and, and at least make it possible to recover. Yeah. Um, I think it was, uh, Ben Franklin that said something to the effect of an ounce of backup is worth a pound of ransomware remediation? <laughs> yeah. Or was that Abe Lincoln? Yeah, someone on the internet. I saw, I saw that on the internet, so it's got to be true. But but when all of your other preventative measures fail, you need to be able to recover. So having a, a backup that's offline, out of the reach of any malicious attacker, uh, that that's really your, your method of getting yeah. back to business. Yeah. Uh, I do want to talk about prevention because it's a little disheartening to talk about recovery or dealing with the situation as you're navigating through it. More to come on this episode of Cyber 24. After this break, we will walk through some tips for preventing a ransomware attack. You're listening to the Cyber 24 podcast presented by Valcom. While many of us give our office printers human names like Becky, George, or Linda, did you ever imagine that your printer could self-heal like a human? HP Enterprise Printer can detect and self-heal from malware, and because they have the industry's only upgradable firmware, new security features can be added over time. HP printers allow you to set, configure, and automatically maintain over 200 printer security settings with their Jet Advantage Security Manager. Valcom is proud to partner with recognized de facto industry standard for printing. Secure your printers now at vlcmtech.com slash print dash copy. That's vlcmtech.com slash print dash copy. You know, a good reputation takes years to build and just seconds to destroy. And the number one way to lose your good reputation is to have a security breach. Valcom's goal is to protect both your online and physical presence. Through IP security, they enhance physical security, improve productivity, and eliminate barriers of physical distance. Their services provide advanced imaging and compression, video analytics, and simple installations. 
At Valcom, they take a holistic approach to cybersecurity, and their cybersecurity services offer industry-leading expertise to design, implement, and support cybersecurity solutions that meet their customers' unique needs. Learn more at vlcmtech.com ip-security or vlcmtech.com cybersecurity. Cyber 24 is supported by the Utah Department of Public Safety, as well as the Utah Department of Technology Services and the Utah Attorney General's Office. In addition, the University of Utah's Kem C. Gardner Policy Institute is where we record this podcast each week. At the Kem C. Gardner Policy Institute, they're dedicated to helping Utah make informed decisions. We're also proud to have the support of Secuvant, a Utah-based company providing business-enabled cyber risk and management. Every week on this program, these great partners will provide expertise and insight to help business and civic leaders better understand the challenge of cybersecurity and how to keep your organization safe. We appreciate your support. All right, welcome back to Cyber 24, presented by Valcom. Philip Kemp, Marty Carpenter here. Uh, talked about Pemco and their... A ransomware attack, a $5 million ransom uh, that locked down uh, reportedly about 5% of their computer systems, but certainly put them in uh, a tough position. So last segment, talked about a company that got hit and what they had to do and sort of some issues related to that. This segment, let's talk more about things you can do to prevent being in the same situation in which Pemco found itself. And, uh, and uh, Philip, you've, you've outlined uh, a couple of tips for us here, so I'll let you just kind of walk us through that. What should we do? What are the tips you would give businesses to make sure they don't fall uh, prey to a ransomware attack? Sure. And, and with most uh, cybersecurity strategies, it takes more than just one approach. Yeah. And, and part of that is because not all approaches are going to work all the time, and attackers can try to, to – defeat a given approach, but can they defeat three or four or five? It makes it a lot more complicated for them, especially if they're looking for opportunistic attacks. One of the first most just apparent thing when you're talking about ransomware is about uh, file access permissions. What what, uh, data can a user account? What what data can uh, a given user access? Because when you click on a malware or or let any kind of ransomware process run, it runs with your permissions. Uh-huh. So it can access the things that, that you can see. Are you allowed to, is a user allowed to access every single file in the organization? That could be uh, a problem if, if ransomware has some uh, its site set on all those files. So li- limiting data access to what a, a given account or user needs is is a good approach for a lot of reasons. Are businesses good at that, or is it something you see as a, a major issue for the most part when you go to start working with a, a new client? Um, it's it's a, a a pretty common issue. Um, it's it's something that can be tedious. It takes diligence, and a lot of times there a person may work for a company in a lot of roles. Are they having just new access added continually and until the point of they have all access or is that access being removed that they no longer need? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, How it, often is it checked? It, and exactly. And I mean, and, and that even comes back to things like our accounts being disabled when, when someone uh, is terminated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So make sure you've got your file access restricted and that can, that does that then prevent if, if a hacker gets in, let's, let's say someone, uh, does a little social engineering with you, and they they get access to your email and to your accounts. 
with your company. Are, they're then limited to basically wherever you can get. P- pretty much, right? Yeah. It, it, it's one thing for ransomware to affect one user's files. Yeah. It's another thing to affect something company-wide. That's interesting because I think if you look at a business, and this is a broad generalization, but take it as sort of a, a hierarchy, right? And there's a CEO and a C-suite, and it kind of goes down to, to more of the frontline employees. If you've restricted access so that those frontline employees have limited access compared to what the C-suite has, um, they also probably have maybe a generally, I guess they would naturally have less on the line if something went wrong. Um, mm-hmm. So by limiting their access, uh, where that sort of coincides with their um, maybe the, the less amount of training or less understanding of what they need to do to keep the company safe or more, maybe even just less of a buy-in in my ro- their, their particular role in, in protecting the company, um, that you can kind of uh, wall that off. That, that, I guess that's good that if someone goes and gets, quote-unquote, a little fish, they don't get access to the whole pond. They get what that little fish gets in his bowl. Right? Exactly. Yeah. There, 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 and there's a there's lot of, gotta be a better way to say that, but that's the best I could come yeah, up there, with. Right? There's a lot of approaches in cybersecurity where you're yeah. putting some sort of boundary just mm-hmm. to, you might not stop all the problems, but hopefully you can prevent it from becoming large. Okay. All right. File access so, uh, restrictions. And yep. then number so, two. So, so an, another uh, thing you can do is, is along those lines, but it goes back to uh, systems administrators, those mm-hmm. people who who have the keys to the kingdoms, so, so to speak, to manage all the computer systems. Uh, they, they need to ha- get in the practice of not using their special privileged access for everything they do. If they are using a domain administrator account, for example, to browse the web or to read email, if that account clicks on, uh, is used to click on some sort of malware link, well, that malware can run with with the keys of the kingdom yeah. with a domain admin. So, th- those are some of the most uh, most critical accounts to make sure that uh, you're only using them for specialized tasks and you're just operating as a regular user, not the uh, the IT specialist that uh, perhaps your uh, administrative account yeah. can give you. So they essentially sort of they can have their administrator account, but they should have a regular account that's uh, more limited in its access, use that for 90% of what they need to do and carry the big master skeleton key uh, only when they absolutely need to. Yep, that, okay. that, that, that's right. And and when it comes to regular users, um, a, a lot of users just on their own computer, they run as an administrator. Um, not necessarily just ransomware because ransomware is generally targeting the user files that a user has access to anyway. But... Uh, Many much malware that it targets various system files to to be able to mm-hmm. exploit that uh, system or to uh, gain persistence. So uh, myself at home and my uh, work computer, I operate as a regular user. I, yeah. Now I have credentials that if I need to install something, I can type in the right password. But don't don't run as an admin, even as a local administrator on your device. Gotcha. Um, Endpoint protection, that, that's another thing that's uh, important. Uh, a- antivirus, That's that's been part of security for more than the last uh, two decades. Tell me what you mean by endpoint, just to make sure that all the listeners are on the same page. So, you know, anti, anti-malware. By endpoint, we're talking about really any computer system. Okay. Um, a computer, a phone, a tablet, those are all sort of the endpoint where the user actually has something that they interface with. Yeah, and, and uh, mobile devices like phones or, or TVs, uh, things like that, yes, technically they're computers, 
but there's many there, there's many devices that can't run anti-malware software um, or can in, in limited uh, fashion like with phones yes you can get uh, anti-malware uh, software and it's uh, it, it, there's a growing trend there but it's it's not nearly as much of a a risk uh, as far as the consensus goes is compared right. to just regular user desktop servers. So putting some sort of endpoint protection, not one that's uh, like the traditional types of software that are rooted in signatures where they look for, I know this is a bad file because it's on my e- exact list of bad files, but something that l- looks at the behavior of a process because you could be the first person to whose device ever sees that particular file. And we, we talked about that uh, ransomware variant. It was a new variant. And at some point, every single piece of malware is brand new. Right. All right. How about number four? Uh, having some sort of uh, security within your email environment. It's it's another layer of defense, and it's very, very similar to what you might be looking at on an endpoint. But uh, having another point, not even allowing a malicious email to get to the users. Don't even give them a, click, a chance to click on the link uh, or, or the attachment. Um, but but having some sort of email security uh, is another defense right along those lines. Mm-hmm. Um, web filtering is another thing uh, that can be done, blocking access to malicious websites, um, any kind of malicious content to as well as to prevent malware from communicating with the command and control server if there's uh, some sort of infection. And a lot of times that'll stop the malware from really doing what it's been designed to do. Um, Vulnerability management is another area that's important. if years ago, 20 years ago, I used to look at all the vulnerabilities, uh, followed bug track and, and there wasn't really too many. There was, mm-hmm. I mean, there, there was enough, but it got out of hand really, really quickly. And now there's 16, 17,000, 18,000. I, I, I think we're on track this year and about 70% of those are critical vulnerabilities. It's, it's hard to stay up on, on top of those and all those vulnerabilities represent a potential, Way some of them can be very easy for an attacker to gain control of your your, your network and system. So making sure you, uh, you you're looking for vulnerabilities and that you're patching those vulnerabilities mm-hmm. regularly. Generally, a, a network vulnerability scanner is is uh, the, the approach for discovering those v- vulnerabilities. Um, we talked about backups, um, but uh, it's worth reiterating. A backup may be your only option if you don't want to pay the ransom. And uh, and I don't think anyone really wants to pay the ransom. It, it, when you think about giving all that money, $5 million to a criminal that uh, is just going to use that money to reinvest in their business and to get better at it, it's not a very good prospect. And there's, there's several other things you can do, everything from application whitelisting uh, for systems where where you know you can clearly define the environment, only letting processes that have been clear, clearly defined run, um, advanced firewall features, uh, other detection capabilities. Uh, detection is really important to be able to not always stop a problem, but to detect and to respond quickly before the problem gets out of hand. When you talk about backups, let's say you're a company that does 
believe in the in the gospel of backups and you have one and and you do get hit with ransomware but you you've got this backup that's detached from everything how quickly can a business realistically transition from oh we got hit with ransomware well let's tell this guy to take a flying leap and we will just move the backup over is that seamless it may have everything there but are you going to look at some kind of disruption to your company nonetheless? Yeah, th- there will be some sort of disruption and, and effort, but that can be minimized. It, it all depends how much effort you want to put into that scenario. Certainly testing your backups, testing your processes, and there's probably a tiered approach. There may be some systems where it's okay if that's down for a couple of days. Other systems, an hour is going to be a problem. So uh, have, have your backups a, a, a lot more accessible. Um, and, and then last but not least, employee education is always important when it comes to uh, a- awareness of uh, the ever-changing threat environment to, to give your employees a, a, a better chance of, of not making any kind of mistake. Yeah. Uh, as, as someone once said, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of whatever. Of, uh, uh, <laughs> an ounce of backup is worth a pound of, of ransomware remediation. Yeah, Benjamin Franklin, right? Yes. Wise words. Wise words. We'll end there today. Philip Kemp from Valcom. Thanks so much. You're welcome. All right. That's it for this episode. Final thanks to our presenting partners at Valcom for all of their support. I'd also like to thank our supporting partners who contribute to this program throughout the season. The Utah Department of Public Safety, the University of Utah's Kempsey Gardner Policy Institute, our friends at Secuvant, as well as the Utah Department of Technology Services and the Utah Attorney General's Office. Until next episode, I'm Marty Carpenter.